0: a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. This is the third episode on the topic of friendships, particularly about men and their male friendships. I'd recommend that you listen to the first two episodes before you listen to this one. The first episode is entitled, The Friendless Man, and the second is, Deeper Friendships. In this episode, I'm referring to a best-selling book on friendship. It's written by pastor and counselor, Dr. Alan Loy McGinnis. McGinnis passed away in 2005. He had a successful counseling practice in Southern California. His book is entitled, The Friendship Factor, and its subtitle is, how to Get Closer to the People You Care for. That book has sold more than a million copies and has been translated in a, into a dozen languages. Let me share six things I've learned from this book. The first is this. McGinnis writes, People with deep and lasting friendships, may be introverts, extroverts, young, old, dull, intelligent, homely, good-looking, But the one characteristic they always have in common is their lack of a facade. They have a certain transparency, allowing you to see what is in their hearts. So a basic rule for deepening friendships is this. Cultivate transparency. End of quote. You know, glass is one of the most transparent materials found on earth. Think of a glass jar full of pickles. If you look at that jar, you can easily see what's inside. Glass is completely transparent. Plastic is another transparent material. When you're buying a bag of lettuce on the grocery shelf, you can easily see the lettuce inside. You don't have to guess. So it should be with our friendships. We should be as transparent as glass, especially with our closest friendships. No, not that we're always saying everything we think and feel. That can just be an excuse for venting. You probably know some people like that. Always venting, there's just no filter, and that's no good. But being able to openly share with our closest friends, being transparent so they know what's going on inside of us, and we, knowing what's going inside of, on inside of them, it's so very, very important. And it makes friendships go much deeper. Sadly, many guys are more like cardboard boxes, rather than glass jars. It's like they're covered with thick, corrugated cardboard. You never quite know what's inside. It's difficult, if not impossible, to get closer to someone who never talks about what's inside, and keeps everything covered up. Here's something else so important about transparency. McGinnis writes, I think I can even go as far as to say that you can never genuinely know yourself except as an outcome of disclosing yourself to another person. When you reveal yourself to another person, you learn how to increase contact with your own soul. Then you'll be able to direct your destiny on the basis of this knowledge. The Delphic Oracle advised, Know thyself. But we could expand that counsel. Make yourself known, and you will then know yourself. End of quote. McGinnis is saying that transparency isn't only for the sake of building deeper friendships. It's also a key for knowing yourself. And knowing yourself better will help you in your friendships. Years before he developed close friendships, McGinnis said he never confided completely in anyone. He just didn't. But he writes, a few years later, he was able to take that leap. Or he says, his friend first took that leap with him. His friend was Marcus Svensson. McGinnis writes, After I opened up completely to Marcus, then I knew the astonishing sense of security and comfort that washes over you when someone understands you fully and continues to accept you fully. When Mark died three years ago, I was glad for his sake that he could shed his pain. But I was bereft for myself. Mark and I had many differences. He was 15 years older than I. He was a skilled manufacturing executive without much formal education. I've spent half my lifetime going to school. He was an immigrant from Sweden. I'm a native Texan. Yet, I could be totally myself with Mark. Cultivate transparency for your friendships to grow and deepen. Here's a second thing I've learned from McGinnis. To deepen friendships, he says, learn to communicate warmth. Learn to communicate warmth. McGinnis writes of a young man named Hugh. Hugh came to my counseling room because he was muddled and confused about his career, and that was making him impotent. I asked about his childhood. Was it happy? Well, not really, he answered. My father was gruff and always critical. I tried hard to please him when I was little, but he couldn't seem to bring himself to say anything good about me. Years after he died, I was visiting my mother. I went down to the tavern where Dad hung out, and some of his old cronies were there, and they related some very complimentary things my father used to say about me down at the factory. I was flabbergasted. I had no idea he felt that way. Interesting, isn't it? And kind of sad also. Hugh says that his father felt warmth toward him as his son. Inwardly, that father was proud of many of his son's achievements, but that father never communicated any of that warmth directly to his son. You know, we men can talk to other people about our good friends. We can say to others what we like about our friends. But how often do we directly tell our friends what we like about them? How warmly do we speak to them about what we enjoy about our friendship? I'm thinking of one of my friends. He communicates warmth so very easily. He regularly tells me what he appreciates about me or what he admires in me. He'll thank me for listening to him and for sharing with him. He does this regularly. Just that in itself helps to deepen my friendship with him. As I read McGinnis urging us to learn to communicate warmth to our friends, I have to ask myself, how often do I do that? How often do I give compliments to my male friends? How often do I affirm them directly for their abilities? How often do I praise them for their strengths? When I read the New Testament letters of Paul, I'm struck by how often he thanks and praises the people to whom he's writing. For example, about the Thessalonian believers, he writes this, We always thank God for you in our prayers. We remember before God your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul speaks so openly, transparently we could say, to his friends in the city of Thessalonica, in another letter he writes to a young man, Timothy. He affectionately calls Timothy "my dear son, my true and spiritual son in the Lord Jesus Christ." He writes affectionately at one point about how he recalls Timothy's, Timothy's tears for him. Evidently, Timothy wept for Paul when they had to leave one another. McGinnis urges us to dare to talk about our affection. The Apostle Paul did that quite easily with his male friends. I think back to how I once wanted to organize a men's breakfast at a certain church. I was just helping out there for a few weeks. That church hadn't had a men's breakfast for some time. The women in the church had their groups, but there was really no fellowship for men. So I suggested that we try it. Have a Saturday morning breakfast together. After the breakfast, I could give a short talk about friendship, and then I would distribute some questions for the men to talk about at their tables. One of the church leaders asked me for more details, and then finally he said, I just don't know. I think a much more important topic for our men at church is to learn how to be the head of their household. All this talk about men and their friendships, well, it just sounds too (laughs) touchy-feely. Just too touchy-feely. There you have it. Most men hesitate to speak warmly or affectionately to their male friends. McGinnis observes this, Perhaps the words, I love you, will be too hard for certain men to say to each other. But there are other ways you can express your warm feelings. You can tell your friend that you've missed seeing him. Or you could say how much it means to you to get together for lunch. Or you can tell him that your friendship is one of the best things you enjoy in your life. McGinnis quotes Mark Twain who said, I can live for two months on one good compliment. (laughs) I can live for two months on one good compliment. When we speak warmly and affectionately, we empower our friends they can go on living and thriving in their lives and we will be deepening our relationships with them a fourth thing comes from the title of chapter 5 in McGinness's book love is something you do he quotes william wordsworth that best portion of a good man's life excuse me that best portion of a good man's life His little, nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and love. How many of our good friends have become our friends because they've done those small things, those unremembered acts of kindness? They don't remember those acts, but I'll bet we do. Those little acts of kindness shown to us by our friends help us on our life's journey. We think of those things our friends did for us without any thought of payback or reward. They just treated us kindly, thoughtfully. For example, that friend who lent you his car because yours unexpectedly broke down and you had an important meeting to attend in just two hours. Or that friend who mowed your lawn or shoveled snow from your driveway while you were away on vacation. That friend who spontaneously invited you to a backyard barbecue. How good just to be remembered by these small gestures of kindness and love. Maybe you don't think of these things as gestures of love, but they are. They really are. You know, I'm thinking about that word, agape. It's found in the Bible. Agape, it's often translated as love, but that's probably not the best translation. It's a word that refers to being kindly helpful, Generously good and caring to those we know who are in need. Doing those little things, sometimes big things, for those who need help. Just lending that helping hand. That you and agape love are willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, for your friend or for anyone who needs it. Little acts of love. A gesture of love. Samuel Johnson is considered by some to be the greatest British writer of all time. He lived in the 1700s. McGinnis quotes Johnson in one of Johnson's essays. I think it's his essay on friendship. Quote, It is insufficiently considered how much of human life passes in little incidents. Let me quote that again. It is insufficiently considered how much of human life passes by in little incidents. He goes on to say, Our lives are shaped and directed by the accumulation of many common events. So, says McGinnis, another rule for improving relationships is, Learn those little gestures of love. Again, for us men, it's often the little things. Simply being remembered by our friends. That telephone call, or that text message. That guy at church who doesn't ignore us, but comes up to us and greets us warmly and asks how we've been. All those accumulated little acts of kindness go a long way to deepen our friendship. Here's a fifth thing. I'm again quoting McGinnis. One personality trait gets the prize for ruining more relationships than any other. It's a characteristic found to some degree in each of us, but when it gets out of hand, it's always destructive and always pushes people away. I'm referring to the tendency to control others. This villain frequently masquerades as love. The overly protective mother will say, Honey, I'm just doing this for your own good. And the man who constantly corrects his friends thinks this. Well, it's all for his benefit. Catalog your own aborted friendships. The people you had just as soon not see again. Are they not often those who try to advise you, or dominate you, or control you, or judge you? Those who have successful connections allow their loved ones room. Rather than possessing their friends, they try to help them expand and grow and become free. So, another rule is, create space in your relationships. End of quote. I would agree with that fully. Not that I'm always successful in practicing this. I'm trying to get better at it. We men are quite good at stating our opinions strongly, and we're often quick to disagree with our male friends. Some men will even condemn or ridicule those who hold a different opinion. Sadly, we're getting a lot of that from Washington, D.C. these days. Again, McGinnis writes, We can learn about friendship by looking at how gifted psychologists function. Many clients will say that their friendship with their therapist is the best they've ever had with anyone. Dr. Paul Tournier became so famous that many young doctors traveled to Europe to study his techniques. In his typically modest way, Tournier said, "'It's a little embarrassing for students to come over to study my techniques,' For they always go away disappointed. All I do is to accept people. All I do is accept people. Wow. I think this might be the main key for deepening friendships, especially friendships among men. We just have to learn to accept one another better. I don't mean agreeing with every opinion or accepting every bad habit or sin. I mean just accepting people where they're at. And as we do that, we'll find our friendships multiplying and deepening. One last thing, number six. McGinnis calls it the joy of new friends. The joy of new friends. McGuinness again refers to that famous British writer, quote, Even Samuel Johnson, that most clubbable of men, recognized that his friendships were constantly shifting. Hence his celebrated remark, A man, sire, must keep his friendships in constant repair. If a man does not make new acquaintances as he advances through his life, he will soon find himself alone. End of quote. In one of the churches I served, I got to know a retired pastor and his wife. They were in their mid-80s. In fact, at that time, before I arrived there, this man had given the church some temporary pastoral help, even in his mid-80s. It was amazing. After I arrived, the man and his wife were eager to get to know me. I was single at the time, so maybe the pastor's wife felt sorry for me. Maybe she thought I wasn't eating so well, and she enjoyed cooking delicious meals, and I enjoyed eating them. But as each Christmas season came and went... They would often observe this, you know, we've had to cross off our Christmas card list another three people. They died this past year. And I came to realize that this couple outlived almost all their peers and their classmates and their siblings and their longtime friends. So they would say to me, it's so nice to make new friends like you. And I enjoyed them as my new friends until they passed away in their 90s. The point is that life is always changing. Some of our friends move away. Some pass away. Some will just drop by the wayside through the busyness of life. If we're going to enjoy friendships, then we have to keep making new friends. Friends. And by making new friends, we stay in practice. We keep practicing those skills of deepening friendship. It's such an important skill to keep sharp and well-honed. Keep on making new friends. McGinnis closes his book with a story about one of his clients, a counselee. This counselee was a computer systems analyst. Quote, he came to us because his depression was overpowering and he feared that something was about to crack. It was three years ago that he had his last session, and at that time I knew there was some some danger that he might relapse and require more therapy. But here he is, sitting across the table, telling me about the ski club, of which he is a treasurer. Where on earth did he find the courage to take on a job like that? So I asked him. I guess I've changed a lot, he replies. Not that I'm the party type, never will be that, but I'm not afraid of people anymore. That's probably because of a couple of friendships I've developed at the office. I began looking for other shy people that I might get to know, and one older fellow and I really hit it off. He's also a skier. We do a lot of things together, but the best thing is having somebody to talk to. I mean, really talk to. I can tell him anything without getting a lecture from him, and he confides in me a lot, too. You'll be interested to know that I've got a girlfriend now, also. We haven't dated very long, and sometimes I'm scared to death. But it's my friendship with Harve that's given me the courage to relate to women. McGinnis concludes, Anyone who dares to try the principles of love, and who will apply them to new friendships will begin to experience self-assuring power. New power, new strength, new self-confidence. McGinnis is saying what all the other experts on friendship also say, that good and deepening friendships among men will help us men improve all our other relationships, including our marriages, our dating relationships, and relationships among our family members. And our friends will give us overall more confidence to try many new things in our lives. Look, I don't think we can live, or live properly, without friends. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down.